Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording, as always, from Crown Cigars and Nails here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Edmond, and I am joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. Gentleman, scholar, world traveler, soldier of fortune. I've always wanted to be named one of those things. Renaissance man. Not so much Renaissance man, but Gentleman Scholar is my favorite. All right, there we go. I, I like Gentleman Scholar. If you if you were going to tag me, that's what I would ask. I had <laughs> I was telling you before the show, I had a super rough morning this morning. Everything that could go wrong kind of did on a grand scale. And okay, when stuff goes wrong and it just goes wrong, I'm cool with that. I handle that. That's life. That's problem solving. When stuff goes wrong because people are lazy and stupid, that drives me nuts. Did you go to work with me today? <laughs> <laughs> but I did my, I look at it this way. I'm sorry, we'll get it, we'll, well, let's light our cigars, then I'll tell you how I look at life. There we go. What and are you uh, smoking? Today I'm going to smoke a CLE Quarenta Habano. It's a Honduran cigar. 60 ring gauge, 6 inches, Honduran filler wrapper and binder. So it's a Honduran Puro. And they're having an event here at Crown Cigars this Thursday? I believe so. This Thursday, that's a CLE event. So I'm kind of trying a few of their things because they're not usually one of my regular smokes. So this one, I'm going to give it a try. Aficionado gave it an 88. But I'll give it a shot and see what I think. So Quarenta means 40. Is there any... Do you know sort of what is that a anniversary? Is there any reason for that that you're aware of? Well, yes, the guy Eoria that actually was part of CLE. It was some fortieth oh, okay. of his or something. I confess to this is not a brand I usually smoke, so I'm going to see how this turns out before I invest a lot of energy into the history of this cigar. Fair point. What are you smoking tonight? So I'm also smoking something I've never had before. Uh, I'm smoking the Esteban Carreras Hellcat. Um, I've had the Chupacabra. So I know a little bit about what they do in terms of their flavor profile, but I have I was in the humidor this afternoon and saw that he that Austin had just gotten these in. And I said, "Hey, what do you think?" And he said, "You know what? Um, if if you like that, you might like this. Give it a shot." So it's on his recommendation. So I'm exp- his and my palate are usually fairly similar. So I'm expecting a lot out of it. It's. Um, it's Nicaraguan, so it's got a Mexican... Well, it's a Mexican San Andreas wrapper, but the binder and filler are both Nicaraguan from Esteli, which is a region that you see... A, a Rocky Patel uses a lot of tobacco from Esteli, so that rich Nicaraguan flavor, I feel like you get a lot of that out of, out of Esteli. Well, you know, I've smoked that cigar, and it's funny. On paper, I should like that cigar. On paper, it's from Esteli, Nicaragua. It's got the San Andreas wrapper, which is one of my favorite wrappers. But something about the blend on that cigar just does not suit my palate. Why didn't you tell me that before I cut it? Because I'm I'm wanting you to tell me your opinion. I want to know if it's my palate that is faulty or not. But, so, back to my rough day. I have to step back to that. So, here's the way this goes. Every morning, I wake up with a cup of willpower. I have a full cup of willpower, and during the day, that willpower is drained. Getting to the gym, controlling my eating, um, not killing anyone on the interstate, things like that drain my willpower. Mm -hmm. But this morning, I had blew my entire willpower check by 8 a.m. I was completely empty. So knowing we had the cigar cast tonight, knowing that I would get to... If I could make it to tonight, I had it made. (laughs) So I took off, and I went and did one of my favorite things. I went to an old-fashioned barber, got the haircut, and the straight razor shave. See, the straight razor shave is one of those things that, you know, we talk about the gentlemanly pursuits. That's definitely one of them. I've never done it. I think before my next triathlon, when when I shave the beard off again, I might have to do it that way. The straight razor shave from a barber that's got the right touch. Now, I've had it done by numerous people, and sometimes it feels like the barber's trying to scrape your face off. But if your barber has the touch, and this guy, he was cutting my hair, and as he was cutting my hair, he had that touch, I knew that he would be someone who could give a straight razor shave of some quality. 
So that restored a lot of my willpower. Was this someone you'd been to before? Was this just luck of the draw? This was luck of the draw. This was a new barber shop that just opened in Spring Hill, Uncle's Old Fashioned Barber Shop. Um, they had just opened, hadn't been open long, but of course everything on Facebook was really positive and you come in, it's a man's barber shop. I've been to Uncle's a few times, over the one over by my house, so yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. They do great work. Yeah, dead animals on the wall, the, the guys are wearing leather aprons. I mean, it's really, you know, and when I say leather aprons, I mean, you know, uh, brown what? leather aprons. <laughs> That's another shop over by your place where they wear the black leather aprons. (laughs) But went in there, he cut my hair, he gave me the straight razor shave, and nothing turns a day around like that. There's just something relaxing about the hot towel and everything on your face. If you've never done it, you've got to take the time. And it's a bit more relaxing from a a professionalism or a social uh, moray standpoint than the midday cigar. There's something really, really relaxing to me about having a cigar at lunch, but then I have to go back into the office smelling like the cigar shop, and that's just that takes some of the fun out of it for me. Me too, and also I relax while I smoke my cigar. I like to wax poetic, as so I, I don't know where our listeners would get the idea of that, but I like to <laughs> wax poetic while I smoke my cigar, and it's just not conducive to going back to a hard day's work. Right. Well, see, for me, lunch is my time for me. I wake up, and I'm from the moment I wake up, I'm, I'm on. And I get up, I go straight to... This morning I worked out, which I hate, but... Um, I go straight to work. I work all day. So the lunch is the first time I have to catch my breath. And there's something about just going. There's a shop right down the road from the office. And occasionally, uh, I will go in there, grab a short stick that I don't have to rush through, and just sit there and just kind of almost close my eyes and just relax and take that time to myself. And there's something really, really comforting about that to me. There is. And there's, you know... So many people are going through life never having had a treatment from a master barber. If you've never taken the time to have not a hairdresser, not somebody that graduated from Ringling Brothers Barnabum Clown and Barber College, someone who's really a master at their craft. And that's coming back, at least here in Nashville, the, the whole artisan thing, for lack of a better term because uh, I know there is one, uh, that's coming back. And so it's, it's easier to find people that have a old world skill that they've taken the time and dedication to. And so it's always really nice when you get around someone for whom that's the case. Well, my barber, I made the point to him today, he was talking about what a good profession barbering is to be in. And I said, yeah, because one thing they'll never sell on Amazon is haircuts. Right. You know, that's never going to be a thing. There's all, you're always going to have to leave your house to get a haircut. So death taxes and haircuts, is that what we're saying? That's it. Patrick McManus, one of my favorite authors, wrote a short story about barbers taking over the world because that became the only time people left their houses and only their political views got heard. <laughs> so barbers decided to rule the world. That's pretty great. <laughs> but moving on. So last week had my cruise. I'm now back. You're not very tan. Um, no, I was in the shade most of the time. I took it easy. Um, new personal best. I got on the boat Saturday and Monday at about 10 o'clock. I lost track of reality. <laughs> so that's a new personal best. It usually takes three or four days at least for me to totally give up on reality. But this time I beat, the, I beat my best time. Well, I did notice that you and your lovely wife came in yesterday wearing matching outfits. So I figured that was left over from the cruise. That was. We actually bought three matching outfits <laughs> while we were down there. And, you know, a little something. It makes her so happy. And I can take these slings and arrows from my fellow men about the wa- the wearing matching outfits. Yeah, I believe there was mention of a Christmas card at one point. Yes, these are, <laughs> these are things that make her happy, so I'm all for letting them happen. But So I had a great cigar experience on my cruise. All right. I have to share this with you. Um, very quickly, I became known as the cigar guy up on the smoking deck from where the smoking deck was because I went up there, my standard cruise day schedule, get up, go to the gym, have breakfast, have a cigar go back to the room, go do a cruise activity or two, you know, if they're having a bingo game or something like that, go have a cigar after lunch, and then after dinner at night, have another cigar. So, 
at three cigars a day, the normal people see me up there smoking fairly regularly. Young man walks up to me um, after the day after we'd been at Cozumel, and he said, hey, did you get that cigar here? I said, no, I always bring my own cigars. He said, well, I picked one up, and it was terrible. It was not that good. I said, was it a Cohiba? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, you got a fake. He said, really? You know, he, he undoubtedly had no idea they sold fake Cohibas. Right. I said, yeah, what did you pay? He said, about $5. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got a fake. I said, so later that evening, I seen him, and I had some real Cohibas in my bag. So I brought him a real Cohiba, and I said, here, sit down and smoke this one with me. And since you got taken on a fake one, I'd like to see you get to have a real one. So we sit down and get to talking, and he's telling me his life story. And this is something that only happens over cigars. Right. You know, he's raised by a single mother, and the job he has right now is the first legal job he's ever had. He's 32 years old. He's got a 12-year-old daughter. And this is the first legal job he ever had, and it's the first bank account he ever had in his life. Wow. And there's a young lady sitting there beside him. I said, well, how long have y'all been married? He said, well, we're not married. I said, okay, how long have y'all been dating? He said, well, we're not really dating. We're just good friends. But she's helped me get this job, and she's helped me get this bank account, and her dad's helping me get ready to buy a house. And I got to sit there, and that you can only do this if you have a cigar in your hand. Took a long draw off my cigar, and I looked at him, and I said, now, son, I called him son, son, when you come across a woman that makes you want to be a better man every day, you better lock that down. <laughs> So I got to pass on a little bit of cigar wisdom. And there's no other, and you know, that sounds highbrow, but there's no other way in the world you could convey that sentence to that young man in any situation except for sharing a good cigar. And the, and the message be received. Exactly. The credibility, you know, I'd already established my credibility because I handed him a real one. And you're giving your cigar a funny look. It's stove piping on me. I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. set it down for a minute and just let it cool down and slow it out and, and see if I can't get some draw out of it here in a second. That's one of the worst cigar problems to have, and it's a box press, and that's a hard problem to beat in a box press. And that's why I don't usually care for box presses. And I, I was thinking about that when when I li- I didn't think about it when I grabbed it, the fact that it was a box press. But as I went to light it, I was looking at the corners on it. And I haven't seen creases like that since my jeans in the 80s. Right. I mean, look at that. So it's a, it's a hard box press. So I'm going to... The, the flavor's good. I'm, I'm enjoying... There's not just a whole lot that's, that's overwhelming me, but it's still early. But I'm, I'm going to set it down. I'm going to let it cool off for a little bit and try and relight it and see if I can't get it right. Let it go out naturally and then clean, clear the ash. Yeah. It's kind of like when your gun jams. you got to clear the chamber and then re-lubricate and light it up. Exactly, because otherwise I'm just going to sit here fighting it all night. And that's not what I'm here for. The whole purpose of this is to enjoy myself and enjoy the conversation. If the cigar's not right, I'm not going to force it. But it was very interesting. There, there was no situation where I could pass that on. And of course, the young lady, she just her, eye, her face lit up. You could tell that's what she had in mind. Right. And what all. was his reaction? His reaction was very thoughtful. He was taken aback because he was obviously someone um, he never knew his father. He never had another man actually sit down and say, you know, this this is where you need to be headed. Right. So it was, it was a great cigar experience. It's something that you could only share over a cigar. That's excellent. And, uh, and then I went and um, I broke somebody's poor little snowflake. Oh, there was this annoying little kid. I say little kid. He was probably 17, 18 years old on the cruise. A punk. Yeah, and he kept sticking his face into people's selfies. You know, and my wife and I were trying to take the aforementioned Christmas picture, and he comes over there and dives in. I just said, go away, kid. And he just looked at me like no one had ever told him before to get lost. (laughs) And he just stares at me, and I said, I said go away now and people can say I'm mean they can say I'm cruel but he was intruding where he wasn't wanted and so I put him back out of where he was (laughs) and that so other than breaking someone's snowflake (laughs) but it was very good Um, my new lighter was excellent and all the Colossus 
by Lotus. Mm-hmm. One of my best lighters I ever had because it has the punch and the cigar scissors on it. So when I went to the smoking deck, I only had to carry one item with me. Right. Absolutely wonderful. So do you not carry your kit with you? Generally, I do. Generally, I carry my kit, but this time, because I had this lighter, I didn't have to. Oh, okay. So it it reduced my travel time. So what have you got going on this week? Uh, This week has been really good for me. I've been so busy at work, but it's been the good kind of busy where you're checking things off a list and, and everything's going right, at least for the moment. Uh, got I, It's one of the rare episodes where I'm actually sitting down as we record. Typically, behind the scenes, I, I typically stand up because I like the energy it gives me. I'm, I'm kind of an active guy, if you hadn't noticed. Uh, but this, this morning, I went to the gym and, and ran a 5K, and then I've, I've been on this kick. So I've ridden my bike to work every day this week so far. And so my legs are a little sore. <laughs> Rightfully so. Right. But it's, there's something so great about, about riding my bike to work that I just really love. I love having that extra boost of energy you get from the adrenaline and the endorphins of exercising right up until the moment that you start knocking stuff out. You know, if you need a few bucks for gas, I can, I can help you out a little bit. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure we can come to some sort of an arrangement. I got a TV at the house. We could get hung or something. Right. Well, we've been... So my, my team, my company has been building out this new area of the building for my team. And we finally moved in this Monday. And so it's been... There's a bunch of vacant offices down there, so I don't have to chain my bike up outside and worry about the weather and whatnot. I can just pull it into one of the vacant offices, change clothes, and although I did have an interesting experience that this is probably a little TMI, but so bike shorts with the little, you know, I, I wear, when I'm going to work, I wear mountain bike shorts. They have the kind of regular short looking things right? because no one wants to see that in the workplace. Um, and I made the mistake this morning of I, I carry a bag with my lunch and my work clothes and my shoes and everything, and then I get there and I change. I realized this morning that I forgot to bring underwear because you don't wear underwear under your bike shorts. So I had to go through the whole day uh, commando, commando. <laughs> which was an interesting experience. I've never quite done that before at work. So, um, but I made it through. You know, you keep riding your bike and brown bagging it and everything for lunch at work. They're going to eventually give you a race. I'm certain. <laughs> I'm certain somebody. All you need to do is stop and smoke a baccarat right before you go in. <laughs> if the boss is a cigar guy, he'll know. <laughs> right. Or, or just start going, hey, is anyone ordering lunch today? Yeah. No leftovers? Anything left in the fridge? Take home with me? But So coming back to cigar news, a little bit of that. Maine, while I was gone, became the fourth state to raise the smoking age to 21. Um, even though there was an over, there was a veto by the governor. Maine has overridden that. Now, Maine, um, New Jersey, Hawaii, and California all have a smoking age of 21. I'm cool with this. I am too. I, you know, maybe it's because we're not part of that three-year gap that got cut out from it but you know I, I think there's a certain amount I ju- yeah I just don't have a problem with it I don't you know I think the classic argument is well if you can go to war you should be able to have a smoke well you should be able to drink too right but I'm it just doesn't I don't think an 18 year old one your brain is still being wired. You're still in that developmental stage, and you need to limit the amount of chemicals you're introducing into your body. Now, I actually did start smoking cigars on my 18th birthday. This explains a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so I, and, and if it hadn't been for that experience, I don't think I ever would have been introduced to cigars. So for that reason, you know, the college experience for me, I, I can see why that 18, that formidable kind of thing, but I'm, I'm sure at some point along the way, I would have I found it if it hadn't been that experience. But at the same time, you know, there's a certain camaraderie, there's a certain atmosphere to most cigar shops that I think being a little bit older, a little bit wiser, a little more established helps you appreciate a little bit more. It does. You know, um, 
Everybody always wants to say children of the future. Well, adults are the present. And when I'm in the present, I want to be in the company of adults. There's nothing worse than that young guy bouncing off the walls in the cigar shop that doesn't have the maturity to conduct himself in the proper manner, that wants to come. You know, we're coming up on football season, and that's usually when you have the worst of it, is someone who lives for their team, though they've never gone to that college, that's bouncing off the walls in the cigar shop, cheering, and it's like, ah, chill out, not the environment for it, yeah. Yeah, chill out, son. Well, and it's been kind of interesting for me over the last couple of years, because I'm, I, I got so used to being the youngest guy in the cigar shop for the long, for a long time, you know, starting as early as I did, that's pretty much been my lot in life. And there are some cigar shops that I used to be a regular at that I could still go back and be the youngest guy in that shop because a median age was, I think, 84. But, um, and they say smoking kills. Right. So this <laughs> is just George Burns. and the, you know. um, but, but so I've taken on that. I'm no longer that guy anymore. And so it's really interesting for me to see the next, you know, half or third of a generation behind me, because I'm not that far ahead, but it's interesting for me to see that younger class of people come back in and as, as not the young gun in the, in the shop anymore. Well, I believe while young people are getting more educated early, they are becoming mature later. I believe they have more knowledge, but they have less ability to utilize that knowledge now than they ever have. And that's that's a big difference in what's going on. Well, also, you know, you've got so many, you've got social media, you've got Half Wheel, you've got Aficionado, you've got all these online resources that when someone first, start, first starts to get into it, when back in my day, uh, all we had were magazines. Uh, There were some online, but it wasn't nearly what it is now. So I wish I had had that unlimited resources to nerd out on my newfound hobby. And so I can see being a younger person getting into it. Now you've got all these resources. You can learn a lot very, very quickly if you're interested to do so. Well, you can learn a lot of knowledge, but you can't really learn... And especially, you know, one of the arts of being in a cigar shop is the ability to tell a story. And I believe storytelling comes only with a certain age and knowing when the timing works right in what you're saying. So that's, that's one of those things that, I don't know, I'm, I'm okay with us raising the age to 21. It really don't matter. If, if they said tomorrow, hey, we'll knock off all the FDA stuff, but we want everybody in the country to have to be 21 to have a cigar... I'm fine with that. Sold. Because you also have to think about how many people between the ages of 18 and 21 are actually smoking cigars. This goes back to what we've said time and time again, which is it's not an entry point for most people. Most people smoke cigars after cigarettes or, you know, there's some kids aren't getting into cigars unless you just happen to grow up around it. Yeah, it's just it's for one thing, financially, it's just not practical for, you know, if you're working at McDonald's for ten ninety five an hour or whatever they're paying now, and you're bu- you're buying a fourteen dollar cigar, you're 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 losing ground. Exactly. Well, we're going to step away for a break real quick. When we come back, I do want to talk about the two thousand seventeen shop ratings that Aficionado just did of the most popular brands of cigars. All right. Well, we will talk about that when we come right back. This is Shane Reeves with the Cigar Cast Etiquette Tip of the Week. When a new person comes into the cigar store, someone who's new, who is just starting, don't feel the need to show them how much you know. Give them just the basics. Tell them the difference in a Connecticut and a Maduro, but don't tell them the difference in Esteli, Nicaragua, and the Jalapa Valley. Take your time, bring them into the knowledge slowly. They will have a better time and you won't dominate the conversation. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from Trey Dedman. Smoking my cigar again. Uh, did you get your lighting issues straightened out? I did. I found with stovepiping, which for those who, just just to make sure we're all on the same page, basically there was a big 
tunnel going right through the center of the cigar. So I was drawing mostly air and it was just creating this hole straight down the middle. Uh, and so I wasn't able to get a good draw of it. And I've, I've found that most of the time, if you'll just set it down, it'll give all the tobacco a chance to heat up and to combust evenly. And you can usually relight it and get it back going. Yeah, it loosens the tobacco up. And I, and I imagine there's more stove piping in box presses than in any other design of cigar. Probably, you know, based on the fact that they're rolled looser, I think there's probably a, an argument for that. Um, but I've, I've had it in all types of cigars. But luckily, that's one of the rare... I have the uneven burn problem a lot more often than I have stove piping. And I get, I get tunneling... Uh, quite a bit as well, which is, you know, basically where you'll start to get that little burn hole on the side, usually about a quarter to a half an inch from the burn line, which will eventually, you know, come out, ignite, and then lead to an uneven burn. All right. So this week, Cigar Aficionado did the 2017 retailer survey. Um, I want the listeners out there to make their own judgments as to the legitimacy of this survey because I don't know that I agree with it. But they surveyed 129 store owners and managers representing 225 brick-and-mortar cigar shops. Now, what seems wrong with those two numbers? Well, you've got a lot of people that own multiple locations. Okay. So they, and they said from big towns, small towns, coast to coast, everything in between. And they may be including some discount tobacco store kind of situations in that, which would, you know, the people that own five, six shops with a Vulcan humidor. So what is the number one best-selling cigar brand? Romeo and Juliet. Number three. Oh, okay. Not a bad guess. If it were 10 years ago, I'd say Macanudo. Um... Number one, Arturo Fuente. Fuente seems to have the distribution of their um, their sedan of the cigars, their middle line cigars. They seem to have that really well orchestrated. They do. And when you said that, I was expecting to be a little more surprised. But I see Fuente fly off the shelves in every shop I'm in. It's such a go-to for so many people. Uh, that and and I think that kind of that may perhaps corroborate my theory that there were some discount tobacco shops or some some shops that are a little that maybe not cigar first because I see those and and that was one of the reasons I chose Romeo and Juliet was because I see those in gas stations I see those in places that aren't your traditional cigar lounge and same with Fuente. Well, I'm about to shoot down your point. I apologize in advance. Number two is Padron. Okay, that does shoot down my point. <laughs> but see, and number three is Davidoff. Romeo and Juliet and Davidoff are tied for number three. But I just don't see Davidoff being a big seller because it's such a pain in the neck to get Davidoff into a shop. Is that based on revenue or is that count of sticks? It's based on what the retailers said they sold the most of. Of course they're going to say that they sell a bunch of Padron and Davidoff. Yeah, they would love. But I also wonder, when they say Davidoff, are they saying Davidoff as in Camacho? Because just the straight-up Davidoff stick is different than things made in the Davidoff factory. You know, Camacho made in the Davidoff factory, Avo made in the Davidoff factory. It becomes a little more believable, but Padron is just Padron. That's... I, I think you have. I think you're on the right track with Davidoff. Maybe there. And then number five was Rocky Patel. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Ashton came in, and we don't sell. It don't seem like we sell a lot of Ashtons here. Uh, okay, then that's starting to make your theory almost Im, Im, impo- absolutely true. Because if you think of the San Cristobal, you think of. Um, Oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm about to do this. You know, Ashton is the parent company for about four different lines. Well, and then number seven was a tie between Perdomo and My Father. But I would almost think Perdomo would outsell My Father two to one. It's a regional thing. And then number... Because their price point's pretty much identical. It is pretty much the same. Number nine's Monte Cristo. And number 10's La Florida Dominica. 
And La Flor Dominica, um, that's a that's a stout cigar. I'm surprised to see it make the top ten. Yeah, but people that smoke it smoke it. Well, and here's the you other. You saw the event that we did here. Well, the other thing that disturbed me though was that the um, Drew Estate was not on the top ten of their list. And I see a lot more Drew Estate sticks sold. But again, it may be regional. Maybe we may be in a bubble here in Tennessee of what actually gets sold. It's possible. Although I've seen, because I can tell you from my time back in Atlanta that I didn't see a lot of Drew Estate being sold. Now, the, the Uzi was, that was before it was Muat, back when it was just my Uzi weighs a ton. So this has been some years. That one sold quite a bit. And that was right when the Kentucky Fire Cure came out. I saw a few of those sold but there was you know i wonder if liga plays into that well and that comes to the next part of the survey they have another part of the survey was what are the hottest brands not just the manufacturer but the actual brand what are people asking for right number one is arturo fuente number two is padron so you know again I'm, i'm i'm questioning the legitimacy of this survey Number three is Opus X. I can believe that. It only comes out twice a year. How does it get yeah. such a big... Yeah, but it's hot. I mean, when it comes in, people and people ask for it year-round. Well, and this makes sense. Liga Provada's number four. Yeah. You know, because be, you may be on something in that these are more sought-after cigars. I would think Rocky would still be up there in the top ten somewhere. He's number eight, tied okay. to Romeo and Juliet. Number five is the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series. Wait, so they they separated out Padron from that one specifically? They did. And then my father, La Flor Dominica, Rocky Patel, I'm, I don't know. I'm a, I will tell people I'm not a gigantic cigar aficionado fan because I do think a lot of their top 25 is based on who bought the most advertising this year. And because there's no way, you know, last year the CAO Flathead was ahead of the Undercrown Shade. There's no world in which the Flathead is a better cigar than the Shade. I disagree. Oh. I, I think, I think the, flat, the Flathead suits my palate better than the Undercrown Shade. I, I appreciate the Undercrown Shade for what it is, but it's too light for me. I just, I, just from a construction standpoint, the shade is far better structurally than the flathead. I don't care for the flathead from a construction standpoint, and that may be because the first flathead steel horse I bought, I got like four stems out of. Yeah, I had, that could have been some time ago. That was, that was quite some time ago, but. CAO went through one of the, kind of an inverse bell curve where they started out really, really good where I enjoyed everything they were making. Then they kind of hit this lull, and I'm not really sure the timeline for it, but then everything I'd smoked from them fell apart. The wrapper fell off. All the flavor wasn't all that great. But then over the last maybe four years or so, I've seen them gradually start to pick back up. So it could have been that the Flathead came out about five years ago, I think, something like that. Yeah, the Steel so, Horse was about four years ago. It was during the worst of CAA. Yeah, so th- they've been on their way back up. In the f- fact, I haven't had any construction problems with their cigars in a while. Okay, so the best-selling size of cigar, whatever brand, the best-selling sizes. And this is, this is percentage of shops naming these sizes as their number one seller. Toro, not in the top five. What? This is a bogus list. <laughs> <laughs> Robusto, number one. That that was my second guess, honestly. Churchill's probably three. Um, Grande, which I would imagine is similar to Churchill. I think Grande is usually a five by a six by fifty. Okay. So in that in a Grande, I think a Grande would be considered anything six by sixty or bigger. See, I think of the uh, Gordo. I think of six by sixty. Oh, and I was mistaken. Toro was number three. Corona, Gorda, Gorda, and Toro was number three. Okay. 23.2%. So not a lot of difference in number two and number three. Uh, miscellaneous odd size is 7%. And Corona, with only 6.2%, was number five. Interesting. And I can understand that because Corona, to me, it's like it's enough cigar to make me want a cigar, but it's not enough cigar to, to say I had a cigar. It's... It's if I need a cigar for the ride home. 
Yeah, it's the lunch break cigar you were speaking of earlier. Absolutely. In fact, that's the size I usually go for, or a Robusto. Yeah, so it's it's more in there, but I'm I would call in the legitimacy of their their survey. I don't know. I'm I'm. Suspect. Well, it's also a fairly small sample size. You're talking about a hundred and. 50, is that what it was? Uh, 200, yeah, 250 shops. But I was thinking just... 125 people. Yeah, 125 people that run cigar shops in, in a country where Atlanta alone has 80 shops. So it's a yeah. fairly small sample size. Yeah, there's, you know, we went, when we went down to Mobile, by the way, stop for a second and tell everybody, Mobile is wonderful. Mobile, Alabama. I've been telling you. Um, we got up Saturday morning and... The Did you go to, down to Old Town? Uh-huh. Well, the gym, we were staying downtown, and the gym at the hotel was no good. So I said, let's just go walk Mobile. You know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. All, all the ne'er-do-wells are asleep at this point, so we're relatively safe to go walk the town. So we went out and we started walking it. It's more New Orleans than New Orleans is New Orleans. It absolutely is. And I was amazed when I was there recently how unsegregated their segregation is and what i mean by that is the main street uh dolphin street the main drag where all the bars and restaurants and stuff are is fairly clearly delineated between the the hip-hop bars and the hipster bars and so but when we were down there yeah, so you've got this one group of people that goes this one place, this other group that goes the other. But we were down there, and, and we were there for a Flogging Molly show. So it's a bunch of Irish guys and white people mostly. And then there was uh, Jeezy was playing at one of the hip-hop clubs. And both these concerts got out at the same time. So you've got two very different demographics of people all flooding the street at once. Who And it's late at night, so everyone's well lubricated. And... You couldn't. The, the atmosphere was was so welcoming, and and it was you know you would think in a city like that late at night around midnight it's dark and was dark, you you get some you know, questionable behavior questionable behavior on both you know on both sides um, you know just people drunk people are stupid and but everyone it was just it was really weird to see how everyone went to their own clubs but when when the streets were full everyone was so nice the locals the Tourist, everyone. It was just a great city. I cannot wait to go back. Well, and I did not know that Mardi Gras actually started in Mobile. According to Mobile. According to, well, according to Mobile and according to a couple of other people that I spoke to, you know, at different times that said that they had read that. But now that may just be the Mobile Tourism Bureau working working an angle. But I was really pleased with Mobile. I would like to go down there for Mardi Gras because I've always wanted to go to Mardi Gras, but I don't like New Orleans. See, I've only been to New Orleans once, and at the time, my daughter was three weeks old, so I didn't really do New Orleans. Um, I would like to go back and see some of the history there, certainly, but I'm, I'm definitely going to go back to Mobile soon. I was, the I was, fishing's great, too. Oh, I was just, I was really impressed. I really enjoyed Mobile. I do have to share, since we're talking about the gentleman's life, I did win second place on the cruise ship blackjack tournament. I heard they invited you back to play in the finals so long as you were willing to pay your way. Well, they invited... <laughs> it's not much of an invitation. The, yeah. Well, I have a seat at the $100,000 Blackjack Tournament on the Carnival Magic selling May 5th. And they'll give me 25% off my fare. Okay, that's not bad. That's, that's about as good as you can ask for. I right. mean, for second place, I, yeah. it's not like I won first. Fair point. And all, but it was, it was great because you've played Blackjack before in casino situation? No. Oh, okay. I've never been to a casino. One of the cardinal things that people, the cardinal sins when playing blackjack is to split tens. If you get two of the same cards, you can split that into two hands and they'll give you another card okay, for each Okay, so even hand. I knew that. And I had lost the first two hands. You only played seven hands. I'd lost the first two hands and she dealt me a pair of tens. She was showing a four. Dealer's showing a four. So I split tens, and the table lets out an audible groan. And I, oh, 
dealt me an ace and a queen. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm back in the game. Right. <laughs> so It was a calculated risk. Yeah, well, when the dealer's showing four, I will say 80% of the time the dealer's going to bust. Mm-hmm. Just like when you're dealt 14, 80% of the time you're not going to win that hand. Right. The dealer's going to hit 18 or 17 long before... You're, and if you hit on 14, you're, you know, 80% likely to bust. So it was very nice to get to win that and do that on there. But a lot of fun. Um, didn't draw a hand in three-card poker. Well, I will say I did get three of a kind one time in three-card poker, but I was already so far down. It just got me back to even. Gotcha. And all, but had a lot of fun playing crafts. But why have you never been to a casino? I just, well, I mean, I it's... It's not that it doesn't interest me because I would love to go, but I, you know, the only thing around here is really Tunica, and I just, it doesn't really, doesn't really grab me. I would like to take a moment if the Tunica Tourism Board is listening. That place is drying up and dying, and here's why: there's no good way to get there. And Tunica, this is—I won't ask for any compensation, but this is what you need to do. You need a train that runs from Nashville to Memphis to Tunica, a passenger train. Because if I could run to Nashville and jump on a train on a Friday evening and spend the week in Tunica, how often would I do that? Yeah, that's a fair point. And if you're in Memphis, if you fly into Memphis, because you can't fly into Tunica, if you fly into Memphis, then you got to rent a car and drive another 45 minutes to get to Tunica. Right. You had a train that went from Memphis to Tunica? Again, how much more business do they get? So, Tunica, if you would like to survive, buy a train. <laughs> Simple problem solving. That's what I'm after in life. So, when you were down in Mobile, did you go into any cigar shops while you were down there? I did. I went into the Tinder box. Okay. And I bought um, Avo Dominant 13. It was a special release cigar, and he had three of them left, and the box actually had music in it written by Avo. And I asked him, I said, if I buy all three, can I have the box to go with it? And he said, of course. So I bought three of those, enjoyed that. Um, On my way down there, I stopped, of course, in Madison at the cigar room, seen Donnie down there and got to get some different cigars. He has a great selection of Kristoff. The new Kristoff Colorado Robusto is wonderful. Mm. Absolutely great cigar. I picked up a couple of those, and then I did stop at Prattville Cigar on the way down there. And she has one of the smartest systems. Um, It's almost perfect in that she color codes. She has colored stickers on all of her boxes to the strength of the cigar. Oh, okay. You know, red being a very strong cigar, yellow being milder, green being mildest. And she has it all color coded, and she has chart on the wall there in the humidor. So when you're walking in the humidor, you always know the strength of the cigar that you're about to pick up. Does she have any that have two stickers that are kind of between one or the other, like a, a green and a yellow, just to kind of, like the, the blue-black when you're skiing, you know, you've got the kind of between the blue and the black diamond, you get the blue-black, something like that? No, it's all just single. She, she don't break it down too far. But now here's my question. How hard would it be to just get a whole bunch of dots printed up that said full, medium, full, <laughs> you know? How hard would that be as opposed to having to have the colored dots and the the legend hanging on the wall. Well, I, I think you can buy the colored stickers at Office Depot for a nickel and, versus having to go get them custom printed and that sort of thing. That's true. Plus, yeah. you're going to have to replace them every time you replace a box. That is true. It may be an economic... But I got to think a print shop somewhere would print you up a million of those things for a little bit of nothing. Or you could just use the same box and just transfer the cigars since you got to take them out to barcode them anyway. Yeah, just add the cigars back into there. So but. if you were to own your own shop, would you do something similar? Definitely. That would definitely be something that I would do. And I don't know, I've toyed with the ideal, would I organize my cigars by strength rather than by brand? And is that allowed? Most reps don't want that. And, and I, as a customer, I don't really want that. I, I, but then again, I'm more of a power user in that regard. You know, I kind of know what I'm looking for when I walk in. Well, and I, I know my palate. I know what I'm wanting that night. I know if I'm wanting a Connecticut or if I'm wanting a more, you know, complex. But now here's the problem with the, the barcode system like we're talking about. It doesn't speak to complexity because you can get a very complex Connecticut 
or you can get a very bland Maduro. Right. So there is some flaws to the system. I would have to work that out. On a future show, we'll have to sit down and actually talk about how would we organize our own shop. Because I have some, I have some pretty established ideals. You know, location. I got to be on the beach. Yeah. I mean, it would definitely have to be a seaside cigar type scenario for me. But had a lot of fun going, moving around, and going to. I went to Cozumel and Costa Maya. You know, all the fake Cubans you can smoke. And it was fun getting back on the ship and seeing people that had purchased the fake Cubans, and they were enjoying them just as if they were real, and I was not going to shatter their their enjoyment of their smoke. You know, for the most part, it, it, as long as you're paying regular retail for whatever, you know, so $5 cigar is going to be a $5 cigar. But if you pay $10, $15, even if it says it's Cuban and you know it's fake, I still find them to be decent cigars. I mean, it's not like they're just dog turds wrapped in banana leaves. Right. Uh, well, sometimes. Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> but moving on, one thing we do need to cover this week, we're getting toward the end of the show, but we've got to cover the cigar under $8 this week. Did you bring one for us? I did. Now, this is one of my wife's favorite cigars. And this is an interesting cigar under $8 because I have to put a notation, an asterisk, if you will, next to this. This is the Drew Estate Tobacco Special. It is the coffee-infused. It's like smoking a Snickers bar. Okay. It's really the best way to describe this. And they have the red eye. They have the con leche. They have the Toro. They have different sizes and different strengths in this. Now, here's, here's where it gets hairy. So a single stick of this is $9, which is no longer our cigar under 8 Right. But it's very easy, you know, here on Cigar.com, you can pick up a box of 21 for $99. And that's a pretty regular sale. This is one of those cigars that you can get it under $8 really easily as long as you're willing to buy 5 to 20 of them. CigarCast top tip, if you are going to go that route, do not dare bring it into your brick-and-mortar shop. No, there's, you know... We get another show we could do on rules that really shouldn't have to be rules. Mm-hmm. If you buy your cigars somewhere other than your brick and mortar... That's what that's reserved for your patio. Yeah, don't bring them into the brick and mortar. I mean, it's just... We shouldn't have to tell people that. We shouldn't, you know, because no one's buying McDonald's and walking into Wendy's to sit down and eat it. But that's essentially what you're doing when you, when you buy a cigar online and bring it into your brick and mortar to smoke it. But coming back to our cigar under eight, that Drew Estate Tobacco, my wife has probably put away seven or eight boxes of these in her life. She really loves this cigar. It is that perfect cigar for a lady because it does have that extra sweet flavor to it and is not as strong a tobacco taste. So great cigar, and if you buy them in bulk, you can definitely get them down to under $8 very quickly. And as... That's actually pretty true of most $10 cigars. If you can find them online, you're usually going to be able to get them for under 8 each. Well, and a lot of times in your brick and mortar, you can go in and say, hey, I'm going to buy a box, and yeah. they're going to give you 20% off or better. 15 usually is what my experience has been, but 15 to 25, just depending on where you are. And, you know, if it's, if it's, in, your, if it's in your budget to be able to buy a box at a time, it's really worth you get a lot of value for your money that way. You just, I wouldn't do it with a cigar that I've never smoked before, but something that I know has recurrent smokeability, something that I can have, you know, day in, day out and, and enjoy, like I do with the Tennessee Waltz. I've bought several boxes of Tennessee Waltz. It's a great way to maximize your, your enjoyment for the dollar. If the, I start a band, I'm going to call them recurrent smokeability. <laughs> I think that's a great band name tonight, only at the T-Pack Jackson Hall, Recurrent Smokeability. <laughs> I'll be there on the accordion. Oh. But, but yes, you're right. And if you go to events a lot of times, you can even mix and match that box of 20. Mm-hmm. You know, when the, whenever Avo has an event, I always mix and match my box of 20. I'll get five Heritage and then five Fogata and five Nicaraguan and you can usually mix and match your box deals at an event. So that always, that's one of those things that makes an event even more appealing. So before we uh, call it a night, tell me about your cigar. 
It's good, not great. Okay. I mean, it's um, it's a Habano. It's not very complex. It's not been a bad cigar, but it's uh, probably not one I'm going to break my arm trying to grab another. And I'll tell me about the Hellcat. So the Hellcat's actually pretty good, except it's burning uneven on me again. I, this particular one, I don't know if it's the batch, the box, or this particular cigar, but I'm just not getting a, a even burn. I had, the construction hasn't been there for me. So it's kind of tempered my enjoyment of it. That being said, when I do on occasion get a nice, true draw out of it, the flavor is textbook tobacco flavor. And I really like that because you don't get a lot of that anymore because the blends are getting so complex now. You're tasting the leather and the oak and the coffee and the, all these other things. This just tastes like tobacco. And I really, I don't know if I'd want to smoke it every day. I feel like it would burn my palate out. But I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the, the simpleness. But that's not to say that it's boring. But there's just a simplicity to the flavor that I'm really enjoying. Well, and, you know... The mood you're in can affect the cigar you have just as well as anything else. A good mood and a bad cigar still can equal a good time. Right. And the inverse is also true. Oh, yeah. A a good cigar can turn a day around. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of good things that can come out of that. So I'm glad you enjoy it. Like I said, not one of my top cigars. Um, But I'm developing a weird palate. It's like, you know, the Tabernacle. That Jonathan, that's been with us here at Foundation from Foundation Cigars, he loves their Tabernacle. I it was skunky to me. I could not get the t- the Tabernacle to taste right to my palate. And it could be, you know, the changing of the seasons. It could be a changing of your palate. It could be any number of things. This the Hellcat I will have again. It'll be a while. I'll wait till he runs through a couple of boxes just to make sure the construction issues are. It, try and minimize that as much as I can by giving it a fair shot on something that was rolled at a different time. But it was it was good. But so that's that's going to bring us to the end of the show for this e- for this week. I want to remind everybody that uh, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line info at thecigarcast.com if you prefer email. But we are also available at facebook.com/slash/thecigarcast, and then of course on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast. Well, everyone, have a good week this week. Enjoy a good cigar and think well of me.